You're listening to Bell, Book, and Candle with Mela Borowski. Thoughts from a Southern Witch. Should have studied witchcraft. Should have learned to ride a broom. So me and my black cat could fly through the skies underneath the moon. Hey y'all, it's Mela Borowski. My favorite time of the year is approaching, so I thought I'd spend some time chatting about Halloween and Samhain. We're going to look into the history, the origins, the lore. We'll talk about ancestors and all sorts of good stuff throughout the month of October. There's going to be some surprises along the way as well, so watch out for those. So let's go ahead and get started. If we go back around 6,000 years ago, fire festivals were extremely important and they broke the year into two sections and then we go to 2000 years ago and in pagan ireland there was samhain which became all hallows eve in times of christianity our halloween today has roots in this early celebration of samhain of course there's not a whole lot of ancient records so the nature of samhain in the ancient times isn't really fully understood. But we know the Celtic people's calendar began and ended with a New Year's festival every October 31st, November 1st or so. It was called Samhain. That's S-A-N-H-A-I-N. You may see people pronounce it Samhain. That is incorrect. It is Samhain. It means summer's end and it marked the death of the old year and birth of the next. And this is why you'll sometimes see it referred to as the witch's new year. And it was regarded also as a time of um, celebrating the dead, ancestors, a day of the dead. It was a time devoted to magic, to divination, a time of spirit activity, fairy activity. And it was a harvest festival. It was one of the times during the year when the veil between the living and the dead was at its thinnest. Now, fire was very important to our ancestors and to the ancient Celts as well. And in Ireland, the custom was for all the fires in the homes to be extinguished on Samhain and then relit from essential bonfire. So being a fire festival at its very roots, it's related in that way to other lunar fire festivals like Beltane, Lunasa, and Imok. So it was a time when those who had died the year before would be escorted to their afterlife, and spirits who'd already passed over would wander out and spend time with their living family. Offerings were left out for them, bonfires were placed as guiding lights, and there were warnings as well for the evil spirits that roamed. Now, some believe druids would have sacrificial rites at this time by building wicker cages in the shapes of animals or men, and then prisoners taken in battle or condemned criminals would be placed inside the wicker cage and burned. You may have seen movies about this. You might also have oxen being sacrificed instead of humans. In Scotland, there's a tradition of burning the witch, which was held even in Queen Victoria's day, where an effigy of an old hag-like witch named Shandy Dan would be thrown in the flames. Present-day England has Guy Fawkes Day, 
five days after Halloween, where an effigy of Guy Fawkes is burned. So the fire festival spirit is alive and well. It's also known as a night when the fairy mounds were wide open. We've got that veil thinning, and so all manners of fairies would roam free, like the puka. Some might say that this time of year, your more evil and mischievous fairies spirits are most active up through Beltane, but I don't even pretend to know much about fairies except give them respect, keep my distance. In some parts of rural Europe, crops needed to be gathered by October 30th, or the pukas would steal anything left in the fields, and farmers would sometimes have iron bells rung on the eve of Halloween as the harvest was gathered, because fairies abhor iron and they dislike the sound of bells, and so that would keep them away from their harvest. To protect against the less than friendly fairies, an old spell from Ireland says to make a wreath of dried apples or dried heather or both and hang it over your front door before sundown on Halloween. You can attach small iron bells to make it more effective. Let's talk about Samhain as a harvest festival. All this information helps us see where our modern Halloween traditions come from. Pumpkins, and apples, and hazelnuts um, are associated with Halloween today. But in reality, these associations go back to when it was a harvest festival. I think it's kind of funny that when churches choose to not have a Halloween party because it's evil or associated with paganism, they instead often choose to do a harvest festival. And they're going back even further to the ancient pagan traditions where Halloween came from. So when the Romans took over the Celtic lands, their festivals merged with the local festivals, and so Samhain merged with some of the Roman festivals. In 43 AD, Roman Emperor Claudius Caesar outlawed the Druid religion, and with that, any sacrificial rites on Samhain. And then in the fourth century AD, the Roman Emperor Constantine declared the new religion was Christianity. And that's really when the holy war on paganism began by the church. The early Christians, they didn't understand the Celtic um, traditions and religions, and they made false associations such as the Celtic underworld being hell um, and punishment and the Lord of the dead being the devil. And the pagans simply didn't want to give up their beliefs and their celebrations. The Christians really had an awful time trying to convince them that everything they'd believed in before and their parents and their grandparents and on back was the work of the devil and evil. So even if their priests were gone, which in some cases were the Druids and other leaders, they still lit the bonfires on Samhain. So as is the case with so many pagan traditions and even goddesses and gods and things like that, they decided to Christianize things. So the church got together and decided to Christianize Samhain since it could not 
eradicate it from the people. So 7th century Pope um, Boniface IV, he introduced All Saints Day. And it was soon put on November 1st to try and get rid of the pagan Samhain. It was also called All Hallows Day or Hallowmas. And the evening before it, October 31st, was All Hallows Eve, which in evolved into Halloween. All Hallows Day was actually abolished during the Reformation in England because it was considered to be too pagan. But in 1928, around about, it was brought back. Um, All Hallows Day was brought back. And then if you think about the colonies in America going back again, Halloween was actually forbidden in the colonies. But by the 1800s, elements of the harvest and Halloween began to develop as festivals. So the question that some people ask is, how in the world did Halloween become so firmly established here in America? In the 1840s, when the potato blight devastated much of Ireland, nearly 2 million people fled Ireland and over 700,000 of them came to America. And they brought their Halloween customs with them like jack-o'-lanterns, costumes, mischief-making tricks. They brought carving turnips and other root vegetables for lanterns, which was centuries old in Ireland. But when they got to America, pumpkins were far more available than turnips. So they adopted the pumpkin instead of the turnip for their jack-o'-lanterns. The actual term jack-o'-lantern first appeared in 1835 in a tale by Nathaniel Hawthorne called The Great Carbuncle. And then when you get to the 1920s and 1930s, you had something called Mischief Night. And that became a night that was just was full of vandalism. And so by the 1950s, the town's leaders managed to kind of rebrand to turn it into a holiday that was directed at the young and trick-or-treating was revived between the 20s and the 50s and it kind of became the holiday uh, built around children really um, that we see today from that time forward. called Earth Magic and it was published a little over 25 years ago and it has a love spell or a love divination in here that I thought was really interesting and could be adapted to today. A lot of us don't have piles of wood sitting around. We don't have fires. Sometimes we do. You do it however you want it but I want to read from the book first and then tell you my ideas for modernizing it a bit. So she says, to reveal secrets of your future destiny, each guest must go alone with a candle to the woodpile and with eyes tightly closed, draw therefrom promiscuously one of the faggots of wood. She will then bear it back into the house where the party makers will help her to determine her future. If it is crooked and full of knots, she may expect some unexpected changes and perplexities through which she must pass to find happiness. 
If it's straight and free from knots, she will sail peacefully and uneventfully throughout life. If it's green, she'll be youthful all her life long. If it's dry and wizened, she will live to a ripe old age. If an insect sits upon it, that's to be taken as money luck, and etc., etc. This method can also be used to discover the kind of husband you will marry by examining with imagination. A handsome, upright mate is known by a clean, straight piece of wood. A crabbed, sour, ill-favored fellow by a naughty and crooked piece. Any maiden unduly distressed by fate's prognosis for her should bear in mind that the larger part of these party spells are to be taken in jest. I like that she says the larger part of them, as in, there is some truth to it. So basically you're going to the wood pile and pulling out a piece of wood and reading um, according to what the piece of wood looks like, what's on it. So you can easily change this around and modernize it by using sticks, getting a bunch of different sticks, putting them, putting them down in a, a big jar, maybe decorate the jar so you can't see what you're getting. And then just having people pull out different sticks and having the fun of divining um, what their future destiny holds or if they're uh, unmarried, what their future partner may be by looking at the sticks. I think that'd be a fun party game. So where did trick-or-treating come from? So this comes from a druidic practice on Samhain. As the spirits came back around, many of the spirits were believed to be mischievous or even evil. So the druidic priests would wear masks to disguise themselves as spirits themselves. And so it would trick the dead into thinking that they were spirits just like them. And the priests could go through the night would, without being victims of the ghosts and the fairies and other spirit beings. The general populace, fearful of being recognized by these spirits who were roaming around, would also disguise themselves, sometimes even as the opposite gender, so that they were not taken back with their loved ones at the end of the night. So trick-or-treating could also be said to be derived from something called souling from medieval times, when the poor would beg for food called soul cakes. Sometimes people would be dressed up in costume when they'd go souling. And in exchange for soul cakes, which were little oat cakes or square pieces of bread containing currants or raisins, as, as we might call them, um, they would offer prayers in exchange for the family's departed loved ones. The more gifts they got, the more prayers that they gave. So by the late 18th and early 19th century, it had evolved from a religious custom to simply being a fun masquerade for children who went door to door begging for apples and nuts and singing traditional songs such as this one, whose words go, a soul, a soul, a soul cake. Please, good missus, a soul cake, an apple, a pear, a plum, or a cherry, any good thing to make us all merry. One for Peter, two for Paul, three for him who made us all. 
And if they were refused that treat, they might have some sort of trick they'd play, like blowing smoke through the keyhole, or even stopping up the chimneys with turf, or smashing glass bottles on the walls to make them think that their windows were breaking. So here's some other traditions. I've read about a game played in an area of Wales on October 31st. You have a stick with an apple on one end and a candle on the other, and it's hanging from the ceiling. To win, you bite into the apple without using your hands and without dripping the candle wax on you. Sometimes you'd even be blindfolded. Or there's apple snapping, where a coin is put into the side of an apple, it's suspended, and with your hands tied or even just putting them behind your back, two people try to retrieve that coin from the apple with your teeth. Now, how about that for a Halloween party trick? Now, some people still today in Ireland and England carry on the ancient tradition of wassailing apple trees at Halloween. This is where you pour cider ritually on the roots of a tree and you tie bread to the branches as an offering to the tree spirits. This was done in orchards to ensure a bountiful harvest and rhymes and songs were sung at that time. In some areas of Scotland in the Middle Ages, this would be done to the sea. Someone would wade into the sea with a chalice of ale. They would pour it into the sea with a prayer to the ancient deity of the sea. And in 1670, it was banned because it was considered to be a relic from pagan practices. And this is not really limited to Halloween. It is connected to Christmas, New Year, and Twelfth Night as well. From the Good Spellbook, Love Charms, Magical Cures, and other practical sorcery. So that you can divine the initial of a future lover's last name or first name, you need an apple. Peel it without allowing the peel to break. Then you hold the peel in your right hand and say the following, Saint Simon and Saint Jude, on you I intrude, with this pairing to discover the first letter of my own true lover. You turn around three times in a counterclockwise direction, and then you throw the peel over your left shoulder, and the peel is said to fall into the shape of your future lover's initial. So here's a smattering of other traditions and beliefs and lore around Halloween. On the first Monday after Halloween, if you climb on top of a hill and observe the smoke rising from the chimneys, the smoke from a witch's house will be seen traveling against the wind instead of with it. In Irish mythology, Samhain was the time when the Dagda and the Morrigan come together as lovers. And through the union of these two deities, the tribe would prosper and fertility would come to their land and their animals. And then there's an old sea legend that says the souls of all who died at sea rise on Halloween, Easter and Christmas 
to ride the white horses that form on the top of the waves. I'd love to see that. Pumpkins that are going to be carved into jack-o'-lanterns should be planted on Good Friday. This actually gives them a magical power that allows them to be stronger at keeping all the supernatural crap on Halloween night at bay. It's also said that they should be planted under the waxing moon and use a knife with a white handle to harvest and cut pumpkins. Now in ancient times, Halloween would be celebrated by offering prayers and thanks to the solar deity for harvest. It wouldn't be called Halloween. We talked about that. It would be Samhain or some other harvest festival. And then we can't forget the legend that is around the Sin Eater. This legend comes from centuries ago in parts of Great Britain and even America. And it was believed that if someone who died hadn't had their soul released from their sins before being laid to rest, they would not pass into paradise or heaven and they would roam the earth on Halloween as the walking dead. So someone who was called the sin eater would ritually absorb the sins of the deceased by consuming food and drink that was often placed on the dead person's body. After the sin eater did their duty, um, they would be paid some money, usually sixpence, and sent away. And the only way that sin eater could then be rid of the sins they'd taken on was through another sin eater. And this job of sin eating was often passed down through the generations. And there's even some rural communities that still practice this at wakes. And perhaps, just perhaps, I don't have any proof of this, but at wakes I know here in the South, you are overrun with food. I've been to a wake before where someone was eating a leg of chicken standing right next to the casket. So maybe, just maybe, this legend of sin eating has even turned into something else. And that's why all the food in the world is eaten at a funeral and a wake. We've also got some apple lore. If you bury an apple in your garden beneath the moon on Halloween, and we are so freaking lucky this year because Halloween is a blue moon. It's gonna be the second full moon in the month. That is super, super special. But anyway, you bury your apple in your garden beneath the moon on Halloween, and it nourishes the souls of the dead who are roaming. There's also something I read that says an apple buried on, in the ground on Halloween will attract unicorns. I'm sure there's a lot of little girls and boys and maybe even some adults who would love to go and attract them some unicorns. So there you go. Bury an apple in the ground and see what happens. If you eat an apple on Halloween right before bed, I read that you won't suffer any illnesses for the next 12 months. That is a belief that some have. Now, if you eat a slice from three apples, it gives you a year of good luck. And folk healers associate apples with good health, and that's where an apple a day keeps the doctor away comes from. So here's just a few more. If you're born on Halloween, you may be gifted with 
wonderful psychic powers and even the ability to see and talk to spirits of the dead. Now, if you see your own shadow in the moonlight on Halloween, you may have bad luck. So with this full moon, even though it's a, um, a micro moon, the smallest moon possible, um, watch out for your shadow as you roam about. If you cast a headless shadow or no shadow at all, that's an omen of death in the next year. Now that's a creepy one and I'm not a big fan of omens of death, but that is something that I did read. So that kind of leaves you with some difficulty. I guess you just have to walk around blindfolded because you want to cast a shadow, but you don't want to see it because you don't want to have no shadow and you don't want to have a headless shadow. So my idea, I guess, is just don't be looking for your shadow on Halloween. If you allow your fire to burn out on Halloween, you invite bad luck. If you look into a church window at the witching hour on Halloween, you'll find the devil at the pulpit surrounded by some kind of unearthly light and he's reading out the names of the sinners who will belong to him before the next Halloween. If you light a new orange candle at midnight on Halloween and you let it burn until the sun rises, you'll have good luck. So here's, an, uh, here's a bad luck again. If you bake bread or journey after sunset on Halloween, you will have bad luck. If the moon um, at Halloween is near, so we don't have to worry about that because we got a micro moon, but if it's near, so a super moon maybe, the coming moon, um, the coming year is going to be fertile for new beginnings. The waxing moon is good luck because that indicates growth and an increase of positive things. We talked about that in our month on moon magic. And the full moon ensures that magic and divination will be at their greatest. So this Halloween 2020 is going to be amazing for divination because you've got a full moon. You've got Samhain happening on the same day. Wonderful, wonderful thing. So all these things, some are fun. You know, uh, my grandmother was very superstitious. She was all about what was bad luck, what was good luck, doing certain things. And I'm sure you know people like that as well. Um, it's interesting where a lot of these, these things come from. And I think it's really interesting to delve into a lot of the beliefs and stories and lore and superstitions around Halloween. And in, even if even if it's not things that we totally believe, it does give us kind of a window into um, how Halloween today as the modern Halloween developed. And also it helps us to maybe incorporate some things into our own Samhain practices. So I hope you enjoyed this um, episode all about lore and traditions and, and cultural things about Halloween and Samhain. And we're going to really get into the symbolism of Samhain um, and even some ideas of having a Samhain altar on our next episode. Thank y'all so much for listening and I can't wait to speak with you again.
from A Witch's Halloween, A Complete Guide to the Magic, Incantations, Recipes, Spells, and Lore by Jarena Dunwich. We've got a chant that can be done on Samhain. Um, joining hands to form a circle around a glowing jack-o'-lantern. You would concentrate on your New Year's resolutions as we celebrate the Witch's New Year while repeating the following chant over and over, each time a bit louder and stronger until sufficient magical energy has been raised and you feel your body tingling. Here's the chant. Samhain Eve we chant we weave a web of magic for to clean. Spells conceive and love believe our New Year's goals we shall achieve. Samhain Eve we chant we weave a web of magic for to clean. Spells conceive and love believe our New Year's goals we shall achieve. Samhain Eve we chant, we weave, a web of magic for to cleave. Spells conceive and love believe our New Year's goals we shall achieve. And then you gradually lower the chant and then end it with, of course, and so it is, or whatever it is that you say. And use that to really put the power into your New Year's resolutions. Hey y'all, for many years now, I've been leading ghost tours in the Columbia, South Carolina area um, at a local museum. But because of COVID-19 and um, the pandemic, I'm not gonna be able to do that this year. And it is absolutely heartbreaking because it's one of the highlights of my year. So I've decided that on my Facebook page for Bell Book and Candle, that once a week, Starting on October 1st, every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, I'm going to be going on live and telling Southern ghost stories. So if that's of interest to you, please join me there on my Facebook page, Bell Book and Candle. And I'm going to be telling not only stories from South Carolina, which is what I usually focus on, but I'm going to branch out a little bit to other southern states. I'm also going to tell some stories that were passed down um, from my grandmother and from my mother and other people and actually some stories about things that have happened to me regarding supernatural things, um, ghosties and, and negative energies and things like that. So it's going to be a creepy, exciting time and I really hope that you'll join me Thursdays in October, starting October 1st at 9 p.m. Eastern. Y'all be blessed. Thank you all for listening to Bell Book and Candle. You can follow Mella on Instagram and Facebook at Bell Book Candle SC. That's Bell, B-E-L-L-E. Or become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Bell Book Candle.